We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to the Bear Report Podcast with Zach Pearson and Aaron Lemming, providing extensive coverage of the Chicago Bears for the Bear Report website. The podcast is powered by Overtime Media. Now, here's Zach and Aaron. Welcome in, Bears fans, to another edition of the Bear Report Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Pearson. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Aaron Lemming, and we are back with another episode this week and a recap everything that Matt Nagy said in his press conference after rookie minicamp, well, virtual rookie minicamp, so we'll dissect all of that and hopefully prepare you for the upcoming OTA sessions here in June. As I mentioned, I'm joined by Aaron Lemming here. Aaron, how you doing, man? Doing all right. It's, uh, things are finally starting to get back to a little, little normalcy in Texas, you know, so it's... Uh... It's been interesting. I mean, there's definitely some pluses and there's also some minuses. And the big minus for me is that I work in Arlington, or sorry, I live in Arlington and work in Dallas. So traffic has started to pick up a little bit again. So it's like those last two months of uh, driving with no traffic is, uh, I think, behind me now. So that's kind of a disappointment. But, you know, there's there's also a lot of nice things going on. So it's, it's definitely... I don't know, man. I, I'm not a big fan of summer anyway, so I'm just kind of in countdown mode to where preseason starts to where at least it's, you know, it's hot or whatever, but at least we have some football to look forward to. And I think, I don't know, like I, like I said on Twitter, I, I do think that one way or another the NFL season is going to get played. I think it's going to get played on time, and I think that there will be fans in some capacity, but I'm just ready. I'm ready for football. I'm ready. I'm tired of seeing all the – you know, the national analysts, you know, calling the Bears one of the worst teams in the league and all the different things. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But, again, it's all projections. None of it matters. And, you know, it's just, like I said, I'm just ready for ready for football to get going so we can see who's right and who's wrong. Yeah, it seems like every day there's an, another national analyst or publication that's pretty much crapping on the Bears. Monday it was um, what CBS Sports had the uh, – Confora had the Bears as a bottom five team. ESPN's Bill Barnwell had the Bears as the second worst offseason. And then Tuesday, it was like the Draft Network said the Bears have absolutely no shot to win the NFC North, which that one to me is kind of the most ridiculous one. Like, I just, I don't think you can rule out essentially any team from winning a division. And the reasoning why was that the Bears pretty much have an opening at defensive back, they have an opening at wide receiver. And the way they worded it made it sound like Akeem Hicks was pretty much just vanished off this earth uh, from an injury. 
I don't know how they got to that conclusion. But yeah, that one was just a little weird. And also to see the Detroit Lions like still having a shot, even though like I, I don't think they had a terrible offseason. I just don't think they did enough to, you know, pass the Bears and be in the conversation with the Vikings and Packers. And I don't think the Bears offseason was as bad as what people made it seem and so bad that they would fall to no shot and finish like three and thirteen and be dead last. Well, I just don't when when I look at the the NFC North and the off seasons. I mean, I would say the Lions probably had the best off season out of every team. But again, look at the last two years. I mean, the Lions were far and away the worst team in the NFC North. I mean, it wasn't even close the last two years, you know. And and some people are going to say, well, Stafford got hurt last year. They weren't a good team before Stafford got hurt last year. I mean, I, I've said this many times, and I'll say it again. I think their biggest issue right now is coaching, and the coaching hasn't changed. So uh, up until that changes, I don't see any reason to how they're going to go from being a really bad team to all of a sudden in the mix for the NFC North. I just, you know, whatever. But I I see, I look at it, and I look at I mean, if, if you want to talk about a bad offseason, I mean, look at what the Vikings did. I mean, if you go long-term, you look at what they did in the draft. They had a good draft, but – you can't expect all these all these rookies to come in and fill positions that have been, you know, there by established veterans. You know, you have a guy like Everson Griffin who's no longer there. Limbaugh Joseph was released. Uh, I mean, they they lost both their starting corners. You know, Xavier Rhodes was cut and Trey Waynes went elsewhere. And it's like you start looking at that and you start piecing all the things together that they lost. They traded away Stephon Diggs. It's like they lost a lot of talent. And, okay, they had a good draft, but you don't usually draft when you're looking at drafts. You're not looking at year one, and that's that's how it all pans out. You're looking two, three, four years down the road. And I, I just, I, you know, I look at that, and then I look at the Packers, and it's like the Packers had one really big need, and that was receiver, and they signed Devin Punches. So I look at it, and it's like, you know, and I think this is a pretty objective way to look when you actually look at everything that each team has done. I think the Bears have had the second best offseason, and I don't know that that's really in the NFC North, at least. And I don't know if that's really saying, um, you know, that they've had some tremendous offseason because I don't really think they have. I think they've had right about an average offseason. I mean, they didn't really have much uh, draft capital. I think they did pretty good in the draft. I think free agency, um, you know, when you get, when you sign a guy like Jimmy Graham to the deal that they did, I mean, that obviously brings up some questions. They didn't do a lot on the offensive line. But I just – when you look at it and you look at some of the deals that they've made and some of the guys that they brought in, it's like I just – I don't know. I, I look at that and it just it, – it confuses me, especially when you say they got a – you know, they got a hole at corner two. It's like, okay, they've got a question at corner two. I'll definitely agree with that. But it's like I think people forget how bad Prince of Mukamara was last year. He, had a, he was giving up a passer rating over 100 last year. He was giving a, a completion percentage over 65%. The guy was not good last year, and I think a lot of people forget that. It's like he just signed a one-year vet minimum deal with the Raiders this late in the offseason after being cut well before free agency. It just, it, you know, when you when you look at it, say, like, okay, you know, Jalen Johnson could struggle as a rookie. Kevin Tolliver's unproven. I don't know that they're going to get that much worse of a product than they got last year from Prince of Mukamura. And it's it just, the, you know, you can sit there and you can say all those different things, and you can say, okay, well, they lost some depth at inside linebacker. But they improved edge rusher by a long shot. I mean, you look at just Robert Quinn alone, he's a better player, a better pass rusher than Leonard Floyd. And then you look at the depth. I mean, they have better depth than they did last year when Isaiah Irving's your number three guy because Aaron Lynch weighs 300 pounds and has to play the five-tech position. I mean, that right there alone, I mean, there's upgrades there. It's like you look at the offense, okay, whatever. They didn't make any vast improvements. 
adding some tight ends of the room. Uh, you know, the whole receiver being a question mark is, you know, I'm not going to say they have a great receiving core by any means, but when you look at it, it's like their top two guys are going to be back. I mean, you got Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller. Ted Ginn's a proven veteran. They got some, you know, they got some depth or at least competition behind them. I don't really see how that's any different from what they had last year. I mean, you really can slide in Ted Ginn for Taylor Gabriel, and, I mean, that's really about what you're going to have. I, I, I don't I, – I guess – I'm not going to say they made huge improvements on the offense. Obviously, the quarterback position is a big one. Offensive line is another one. But I don't think they got any worse offensively. And defensively, I mean, outside of some depth and, you know, okay, so ha-ha Clinton Dix went elsewhere and they brought in the guy in uh, Deshaun Gibson who is probably about a, you know, pretty comparable player. And I think he fits a little bit better. I just don't – I don't see where some of these people are looking at the Bears roster – and they're seeing that. I mean, did they have a great offseason? No, I don't think they had a great offseason. But to say that they had the second worst offseason and then to say that they have all these issues and then there's been multiple people projecting him as a bottom five team and then Pete Prisco came out with his top 100 rankings, I think it was yesterday of the day, and there was only one bear and that was Khalil Mack. It's like all of a sudden, you know, Ed, that's the thing. is A lot of this is recency bias. It's like Eddie Jackson was an all-pro in 2018 and was regarded as one of the top two or three safeties in the league. All of a sudden you've got nobody talking about him as a top end safety. It's like you, you, you look at what else they have. I mean, Kyle Fuller had somewhat of a down year last year, but they have a lot of talent, especially on the defense side of the ball. Allen Robinson's a damn good receiver. I just, I, I think a lot of it is okay. They finished eight and eight. They disappointed. A lot of the focus has been on Trubisky. A lot of the focus has been on the quarterback position, but when you really look at the roster versus what it was and you know at the end of the last year versus what it is now, I think it has improved. I think on paper, when you compare it from 2019 week one to what it'll be 2020, that's up for debate. But it just it feels like a lot of people are looking at the disappointment that the Bears had last year and the issues that they had at quarterback and saying, oh, no, that's not going to improve. That's only going to get worse. I Okay, if you want to say that they're you know, a 6- or 7-win team, okay, there's I think there's some justification to that. If you want to say they're a 9- or 10-win team, there's some justification to that. But to say that they're one of the worst teams in the league, a bottom five team, and they're going to be a 3- or 4-win team, I just don't see that. I don't – I think everything that could have gone wrong for them last year did, and I'm not saying that everything will go right this year, but I don't see how a team like the Bears – are not more in the mix for the division race than a team like the Lions. It just doesn't make any sense, especially when you consider what has happened in the NFC North this offseason. I mean, every single team uh, outside of probably the Lions and maybe the Bears, let's just say they stayed the same. It's like every single – the two other teams, the Vikings and the Packers, got worse. I don't – I mean, there's really no – there's really no debate about that, at least in the short term with the Vikings and the Packers didn't get any better. So I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. There's two things for me. I, I like to look at Vegas win totals as kind of a good meter on, on, on what to expect from your team. And the most recent ones released last week, I forgot the sports book, but they had them out where the Vikings and Packers were pretty much two favorites. The Bears were just like a game or a half game behind them. And the Lions were like two or three games behind them. So what that tells me is they think the NFC North is going to be a close race between three teams so much that they couldn't really separate the Vikings and Packers too much from the Bears and had to kind of keep them close. The other thing, you brought up a good point. The Bears finished 8-8 eight and eight last season, okay? And that was with awful quarterback play for most of the season. There was probably one or two games where Trubisky kind of caught fire a little bit at the end and played better. Still not what you want to see from a franchise quarterback. So they go 8-8 eight and eight with that. Yeah, the defense won them a couple games, 
they also lost a couple of close games. I mean, they lost. They had the lead in the fourth quarter against the Raiders in London where, you know, if Kevin Pierre-Lewis probably doesn't run in the punter, they probably win that game because they're getting the ball back with the lead late. Then you have the game against um, was, oh, Los Angeles where they lost on a field goal, a um, missed Eddie Pinero field goal where they had the lead in the second half before two, you know, Mitchell Trubisky interceptions or turnovers. And then they had the Philly game where they came out just flat with like 18 yards of offense in the first half, finally turned it around. And if they played like they did the second half the entire game, they would have won that game on the road. There's three games right there that they lost that are pretty close. And then even week one against Green Bay, I mean, they laid a stinker. That one was awful. The, the, the offense was flat out awful in that game. So everything that went wrong for them last season to go 8-8 eight and, eight and you know, you lose HaHa Clinton Dix, but you replace him with a guy that I, I, I think is is better in um, in uh, Tayshawn Gibson. And then you get a wide receiver, you lose wide receiver Taylor Gabriel, but you replace him with a guy like Ted Ginn Jr., who's pretty much on the equal playing field there. And then you also add in a rookie in Darnell Mooney, another speed guy. So I don't think they got worse there. They lost Prince Amukamura. And like you said, Amukamura wasn't that great. Remember how many people on Twitter – we're upset with Amukamura in that stretch, like a four-game stretch even on Thanksgiving where he was completely burned by Kenny Galladay, looked out of place on the field. You know, I, I, you could say there's there's a question mark there. I don't think there's a hole because they've at least tried to address it with Jalen Johnson and signing Artie Burns and then bringing in um, a couple guys in free agency. And then you also have Kevin Tolliver, you know, waiting waiting in the wings there. I don't think you can say they got worse at almost any position. They definitely upgraded at edge rusher, bringing in Robert Quinn, who ESPN even listed as one of the top edge rushers in the league last season with pass rush efficiency. So I think it would take a lot to happen. And like I said, I could see doomsday scenarios, um, you know, with what Barnwell's talked about in the offseason piece. Maybe Nick Foles isn't good and Mitchell Trubisky isn't good. There's your doomsday scenario that they both stink and they just kind of take a crap. Um, with, with the USA Today, okay, if they're a, if they're a uh, or not USA Today, I'm sorry, the La Conforia one, the doomsday there is same thing. If the quarterbacks stink and the defense hurts, they're going to be a bottom five team. That That's just how it is. But if that situation happens, they'll at least have a top five pick to try and get someone like Trevor Lawrence. I just, I don't agree with the whole notion that the Bears had a terrible offseason, that they're, that they're this bad, they're going to be terrible, and that they can't even win the NFC North. It's just kind of ridiculous. And it feels like at this point, it just feels like people are trolling and just trying to get the attention with the Patriots. Well, yeah, but let me ask you this, though. Why did the yep. Bears have such a bad year last year? It was quarterback play. So if their defense is arguably at least the same, if not better, because yep. of Robert Quinn, mm-hmm. then how? I, I mean, I, I guess I just that, that's my point here is I, I I don't get it. Like like I said, last year was a very worst case scenario, and they still went eight and eight. They yeah. had and their defense won them some games too. Exactly, they had a terrible, 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 terrible quarterback play all year last year. It was bad all freaking year last year. So. I just, I, again, I don't understand the thought process of, well, if the quarterback plays bad, then the defense is going to be bad. That doesn't, that doesn't equate. That doesn't mean anything. We saw that last year. We saw that the quarterback play was one of, if not the worst in the league, collectively. We saw that last year. 
And the defense wasn't as good as it was in 2000, uh, 2018, but it sure as hell wasn't bad by any means. It was still top 10 in uh, DVOA. Well, that, and I guess that's my point here is that, you know, it's, it's easy to say all this stuff and it's easy to say, well, if the quarterback situation's bad, then the defense is going to be bad. But we saw that last year. And really what this comes down to and whatever, I mean, everybody's going to have their opinions on this, but really what this comes down to is Jason Lockenfora is a known Bears hater. I mean, let's just put it out there. He's a known Bears hater. Bill Barnwell's pretty much the same way. I think he kind of nailed it on the head is, you know, especially when you're talking on Twitter. I mean, Bears Twitter has a tendency to go after anybody who says anything bad about the Bears. I mean, we've seen it with Matt Miller. We've seen it uh, with Evan Silva. We've seen it with all sorts of people. I've been involved with it. Um, and it is what it is. And I think that to a certain extent – I think that sometimes, you know, there's just a certain it, – it's easy to say the Bears are kind of one of those middling teams right now. It's easy to be like, ah, oh, they're going to be bad. Just that, you know, it's like it's going to get you more – it's going to get you more clicks. It's going to get you more attention. And like I said, Jason Lockenfora has been, you know, breaking wrong news on the Bears for years now. He has absolutely zero connection into House Hall whatsoever. And like I said, the dude has just bad-mouthed the Bears the last few years. It is what it is. He's, that's just Jason Lonkin 4. There's a reason that he's, you know, that he's blocked half of Bears Twitter and the reason that he does what he does. It just, I think when you look at it objectively and you look at it logically, like I said, okay, you want to project him as a 6 or 7 win team, that's fine. If you want to project him as a 9 or 10 win team, that's fine too. I think that when you look at an 8 and 8 team, I think usually you can look and say, okay, there's going to be a two to three game swing one way or another. Okay, that's fine, whatever. But to say that they're one of the worst teams in the league and that everything's going to fall apart if the quarterback play isn't good, that just doesn't make any sense to me. We saw what happened last year when the quarterback play wasn't good. They were still an 8-8 eight and eight team, and they still had a top 10 defense. I don't think that the defense is magically going to fall off. And it's like, okay, so even if, even if the quarterback situation doesn't improve much, I mean, let's just put it this way. Nick Foles, I'm not a big fan of Nick Foles, and I don't think Nick Foles is a good quarterback, but I'll tell you this right now, Nick Foles is a hell of a, on his worst day, Nick Foles is a hell of a lot better than anything that we, the, the overall product that we saw from Trubisky last year. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. Yep, he, I agree with that. So it's like, even there, you have some sort of improvement. I mean, it's, it's not like it could get much worse. I, 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 again, I just don't understand the thought process of if the quarterback plays bad, the defense will fail, and this will be a three-win team. You know, okay, if if it is a three-win team and they have a top-five pick and they can get a quarterback, then great. I don't know if I trust Ryan Pace to do that, and obviously at that point, then you would be looking at possibly a new GM and a new head coach if things really fall apart that way. I think the more realistic scenario is that they're going to hover somewhere, you know, right along the 500 mark, like I said, six, seven wins, nine, ten wins, whatever it is. It doesn't matter, but I think that – Improved quarterback play with this team, taking a little bit of pressure off in a better run game, I think that will actually do wonders for the Bears because the Bears didn't have great quarterback play in 2018 when they went to the playoffs and won 12 games. It wasn't like Trubisky was some world beater. I mean, he was still, you know, he was still a middle of the pack quarterback in a lot of metrics and below and some and higher and others. So it's like if you even get remotely close to average quarterback play and you still have a you still have that defense and you still have whatever else you have. It's like there's not a reason that they can't win ten games, in my opinion. I, I could see them lose. I could see them being six and ten, but I just I don't see a scenario where they're all of a sudden going to be 
a bottom five team where everything falls apart without serious inju- injury or, a, you know, a Mark Trestman like meltdown. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and you're right on the Trubisky thing. He was probably average at best for the 2018 season, but was better than what he was in 2019, which is the main point. He wasn't very good. And look at the defense. I mean, their worst game. What was their worst game last season? It was probably, I think you'd agree, it would probably be New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans or Kansas City, one of the two. New Orleans I mean, or Kansas City? Yeah, and, that didn't compare to some of the – they had really bad games in 2018 too. Exactly. Miami. I mean, Miami was a bad game for them. They, and, the biggest thing that the, the defense lacked last year was pressure on the quarterback, which obviously resulted in less sacks and less turnovers. That was really the only difference. Exactly. And looking – I mean, okay, so you have – so you listed the New Orleans game and the Kansas City game. The Kansas City game – that's the, you're going against the MVP, the eventual Super Bowl champions. You'd like to see a little better from their defense. It's kind of understandable, though. They have Patrick Mahomes, uh, an all-world quarterback. Against New Orleans, though, I mean, part of the reason why the, the Bears' defense was so bad is because the offense was going three and out almost every possession. The offense, correct me if I'm wrong, the offense didn't get a touchdown until I think the fourth quarter. The only touchdown they scored in the first half was uh, the Cordero Patterson kick return. So it's like even then, with those two games – I mean, you can still make an excuse for the defense that they're still good. They're still top 10 in DVOA. And in those two games, you let's even throw in the Raiders game in London where they kind of just looked out of out of whack. Cle- or not Cleo Mack, I'm sorry. Akeem Hicks was out for most of the London game. And he was also out for the New Orleans game. And I believe he was out for the Kansas City game as well. So it's like missing Akeem Hicks was huge because teams could just gash the middle. The Bears just didn't have the depth and the talent up the middle. You know, guys like... And then Goldman was struggling with injuries throughout the year. Blau Nichols didn't really take that next step. He had a big hand injury um, early in the year. So losing Akeem Hicks, that only opened up the middle a little bit for the rushing attack for opposing offenses. But it also put more pressure on Khalil Mack to be double teamed and chipped every play because you didn't have to worry about Akeem Hicks rushing the passer and getting into the backfield. And then on top of that, you had a guy in Leonard Floyd who really struggled to, pa- to rush the passer which makes Cleo Mack's job more difficult. And it goes back to what you said, less sacks, less pressure on the quarterback, which is kind of why I think a lot of people see the Bears defense last season and say, well, you know, they weren't as good as 2018. They weren't forcing many turnovers. All those things go in sync. Pressure on the quarterback, sacks, those lead to more turnovers for the secondary, fumbles, stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm with you, man. I just, it would take an absolute doomsday scenario for them not to win more than six, seven games in my eyes. I just, in the schedule, the way the schedule is this year, I think it's very favorable. I hate using the schedule thing because it could change. It's going to change. You know, things are going to happen between now and kickoff with, you know, moves and injuries and stuff like that. But I mean, I think their schedule lines up pretty damn well for them. And if their defense is just still even top 10, top 15, they'll be in good shape. But it's all going to matter on the offense and whoever's a starting quarterback. And kind of going into that topic, that's a perfect lead-in for uh, Matt Nagy meeting the media. So let's get into our first break of the show, and we'll come back and talk uh, what Matt Nagy said about the quarterback competition or the lack thereof quarterback competition so far here in OTAs. We'll be right back after this. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. 
We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Welcome in, Bears fans, to the Bear Report Podcast. We just got done talking a little bit about why the national media hates the Chicago Bears so much with the uh, latest predictions of them being a bottom five team, three and 13, and essentially having no shot to win the division, according to some out there. Uh, but Aaron, let's kind of get into some things here because, you know, Matt Nagy talked to the media last Friday. The Bears completed their virtual rookie um, mini camp, and, and it was nothing like what we've seen in the past. Obviously, all online, nothing on the field up there at Hallis Hall. And it was kind of our chance as a media to talk to Nagy for the first time since the draft. We got to talk to him a little bit before the draft as well, but we haven't had many opportunities this offseason so far. And there was a couple interesting things I thought that he said, and we'll kind of lead in with the first one. As I said, we're going to lead in this topic, the quarterback competition. So he was asked, you know, a variety of things regarding Mitchell Trubisky, Nick Foles. The biggest question, the biggest takeaway I had was, according to Nagy, the Bears aren't going to use this virtual offseason to kind of judge the quarterback competition or, or start the quarterback competition. Instead, they're going to wait till it gets on the field. Now, I, I, I want to believe Matt Nagy. I, I I do kind of believe there is some truth to that, that they can't really, you know, take in a lot of the stuff that these players are doing through these virtual meetings. However, in in my eyes, and I know I know what the answer is going to be in your eyes, I think you're going to agree here. I feel like Nick Foles kind of has that inside track to be the starter. And I'll tell you why. It's because when he was asked about Nick Foles, you know, he, he brought up, He's, he's brought Nick's character multiple times this offseason. He's brought up the connections that Foles has had on this offense, you know, with, with coaches and other players. And he also brings up how, you know, Foles does know the, the playbook. It's a similar offense, although he did say the terminology is a little different. But he kind of went out of his way to, to make a very obvious statement of, you know, Foles has been digging into the playbook, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, he's been digging into the playbook. We all know that. It just kind of was a little odd to me that Nagy kind of, made that obvious statement and kind of went out of his way. But yeah, for me, I think Foles is going to have the inside track when they hit the field. I I, I think it's going to take something, not a, I don't want to say a miracle, but it's going to take Mitchell Trubisky to wake up and have the performance of his life in the offseason, play the best football he's ever played to win this competition. Am I wrong in saying that in your eyes? No, not at all. I, I mean, it's, it's kind of the same thing we've been talking about all along since since the offseason, before we even knew who the quarterback that they were going to acquire was going to be. I mean, and I know some people don't want to hear it, and I get it. I, I get some people are holding out hope that Trubisky is going to magically turn the corner and everything's going to click and he's going to be able to read defenses and he's going to be able to know the offense and he's going to be able to do everything on the field. I hope he does too, but that's not very realistic at this point. And again, it's you just have to look at what the coaches are saying and what Nagy's saying, and it's like, okay, you know, we all knew with this Nick Foles move that the reason that he was brought in was because he knew the offense. It wasn't because he was some young guy that that had this high potential that could unseat Trubisky and then all of a sudden become the starting quarterback of the Bears for the next 10 or 15 years. Like It wasn't any of those situations. It wasn't a situation like Derek Carr where it's like, okay, this guy could be the starting quarterback for the next five to eight years. It was nothing like that. you know. And But it was a situation in which we knew that he knew the offense. He's had his best success in Andy Reid offenses, whether you look at it, you know, when he when he basically 
revived his football career and decided he wanted to continue to play football being the backup in Kansas City, or whether it was when he went to Philadelphia and won the Super Bowl and then the next year came off the bench again and turned them around and got them into the playoffs. And, of course, they beat the Bears in 2018 in the wild card round. So, you know, it, it's one of those things, again, I, I'm not hyping up Foles. The Foles is what he is. He's not a great quarterback at times. He can be slightly above average. Most of the time he's either average or slightly below average. But the difference here is, is he knows how to run the offense. He's proven that he can run the offense. And it's like you said, okay, there's a difference in terminology. Okay, but, you know, he's a proven quarterback who's been able to do it at somewhat of a high level. I mean, I, I know, and this is kind of a broken record, and, you know, depending on what side you're on, you know, the, the, the argument is Nick Foles took the, the Eagles to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl. He was the Super Bowl MVP. I mean, clearly the dude has something in it, and it's not to say he's a good quarterback because I don't think he is, but I think when you really look at the competition that's going on here, you have a guy in Trubisky who's been in the offense going on four years now. Uh, or sorry, three years now. He's been in the league four years now. And, I mean, it's not hard to see. All you got to do is go and watch Bears games, and watch the All-22, watch how slow Trubisky is through his progressions when his first read isn't available. He struggles to read defenses. It is what it is. I mean, there's been multiple comments. I mean, Adam Johns had a, had a column on The Athletic uh, this week basically talking about how Trubisky's got to change his, change his habits and find something to where he can retain information and not only retain the information, but when he gets out on the football field and is actually physically going through it to make the changes. That's huge. I mean, that, that, that's the issue. There's no, when you look at the talent between the two quarterbacks, Trubisky's clearly the more talented quarterback. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, there's a reason that the Bears traded up and took him number two overall. There was a reason that most NFL teams had him as the number one quarterback on their boards in the 2017 draft. I mean, he doesn't lack talent, and it's all in between the ears with him. And that's the thing is we know that Nick Foles is best when the pressure's on. We've seen it. We have also seen that Trubisky has had a tendency to – not play up to his potential in bigger games, primetime games for a prime example, or when the pressure gets turned up, 2019 season as a whole. It's just, I mean, really, again, what this comes down to is Trubisky is a vastly, obviously vastly more talented quarterback. I think he's got a better arm. I think he's got, obviously, much better athleticism. I think he's an overall much better talent than Nick Foles, but the difference is Nick Foles is a seasoned veteran. He started multiple times. He knows what he's doing, and he can produce when he needs to produce. Even like I said, even an average product from him is still worlds better than anything the Bears got last year from Trubisky, and that's I think that's the biggest key. And absolutely, I think that that Foles it has the advantage going in because he already knows the offense. He's got to learn the terminology, but he's proven he can do it. He clearly has the the coach's trust because if you really think about this, Matt Nagy's worked with him. And John DeFilippo's worked with him, uh, you know, and, and those, I mean, John DeFilippo was his coach last year. I mean, he was his, he was his offensive coordinator last year in Jacksonville. It's like, do you really think that they're going to bring in a guy that they, that they had no trust in, or if they were lukewarm on, it's like, okay, yeah, it's going to be a quarterback competition, but at the same time, because of how the off season is playing out, I mean, it's just one of those things where until they get into the training camp, until they get into the preseason, I mean, the battle really can't commence, but let's be honest here. I mean, Nick Foles, Based on what he's done, how he knows the offense, his familiarity with the coaching staff, 
I mean, clearly he has the leg up right now because he's at least proven that he can do it at a decently high level for at least a stretch of the season. Trubisky hasn't has not proved that he can be consistent throughout the season and perform in big time situations. And that's something that you can knock Nick Foles all you want, but that's something at least Nick Foles has done in his career. And again, I mean, this isn't a situation where you're looking at good versus great or good versus average, whatever it may be. I mean, this is it's not an ideal situation for the Bears to be in, but I do think that moving into training camp, I think you're absolutely right. I do think that Nick Foles has the advantage going in. And I think that the Bears moves and and Matt Nagy's words have have absolutely proven that. I mean, it's it's multiple things. They went in and they they traded a fourth fourth round pick. I don't care if it was a comp pick. They traded a fourth round pick in a draft that they didn't really have many picks in, and they didn't really have very many high picks in. And they traded a fourth round pick for a guy in Nick Foles and decline Trubisky's fifth year option. I mean, there's a lot to be said here about what they've done so far, and it's like they would be doing themselves a disservice to not go in with an open mind, but you absolutely have to know that there's going to be a favorite, and the more experienced quarterback who's proven that he can do it has to be the favorite at this point, or else they wouldn't have brought him in in the first place. Well, yeah, and to the point, I agree that Trubisky's probably a more talented quarterback. The problem is when you watch Trubisky, he's got no pocket presence. He he looks at one wide receiver, and then after his first option is covered, you know, it's either a quick check down – that's two to three yards or he tries to scramble and take off or throws the football away going through his progression has been a big problem for him since his rookie season when you watch Nick Foles on tape yeah he might not be the most you know physically gifted quarterback but the guy's got pocket presence he can step up into the pocket and make tough throws down the field which is you know something this Bears offense needs so yeah I look at it and I think it's going to take a lot for Mitchell Trubisky to win this job. I don't think it's impossible. I would definitely say that Nick Foles is probably the favorite right now and has the inside track to winning the job. You know, I, I would say more has to go wrong for Foles to lose this job. And, and it's going to take something for, you know, Trubisky to kind of play out of his mind. And, you know, while I say Trubisky's more physically gifted, you can kind of see that when you watch plays. And, and I, I like to look at it this way. To me, when Matt Nagy's calling in the plays and, it, and it's kind of just, you know, he's got to go through the progressions and make the read on the RPO um, and things like that, the game doesn't slow down for him that way. When he's actually got to make a decision and kind of take time to think about it, it, it just doesn't slow down. But when he's out there and it's kind of like that backyard style football where he's just, you know, just making plays and not necessarily thinking as much, as weird as that sounds he looks a lot better. I mean, we've seen it like the play against Washington where the, the play kind of breaks down. Um, he looks at his reason. He makes a really good throw to Taylor Gabriel. Okay. That was a really good play where he was kind of playing that backyard, you know, type football later in that game. You look, they have like second and goal and there's a fade route to the end zone for Allen Robinson. He's going to be wide open and Trubisky just short, short arms it. He knows that's the read. He knows everything he has to do in that throw. All he has to do is make a, a normal NFL throw that a quarterback should be able to make and he short arms it and it's picked off at the goal line. So it's like, it's just, and that's just a couple of the examples. I, I, when just watching him on tape, I just noticed that to me, he plays a lot better when it's that backyard style of football, when he can just kind of sling it, have fun, not think as much, make plays with his feet. And, and I just have to wonder how much, you know, I'm not saying he was a really good quarterback in 2018. I thought he was playing average, maybe a little bit better than average at some stretches. But, man, once he went down on that shoulder, just kind of felt like, you know, he he 
didn't necessarily have that type of backyard mentality, and he wasn't trying to make plays happen with his feet. Instead, he had to become a pocket passer um, and, and have to go through his progressions more, which is where he really struggled. Now, leading into that, another thing I thought that was kind of interesting from Matt Nagy, you know, he said he challenged Mitchell Trubisky to learn and master the playbook this year. I mean, this is a guy going into his fourth year, and your head coach, as a number two overall pick, and your head coach wants you to master the playbook even more. Now, to me, Trubisky, number two overall pick, that playbook should have been mastered at the absolute latest midseason last year. I mean, he should know the playbook by now. And, and Nagy has said it takes a little bit for players to kind of get his type of playbook down. But when you trade up for the number two overall pick, you have to find a guy that can read the playbook, learn the playbook, master the playbook right away So because it's going to progress your offense. And, and we're just not at that stage with Mitchell Trubisky right now, which is another thing that's holding him back, as something you mentioned in the Adam Johns piece. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I just, I mean... It is what it is at this point. I mean, it's the words and the actions of the Bears say a lot more if you just look at what's going on. I mean, that's just really what it comes down to at this point. I I don't really know how else to say it other than the pressure is on Trubisky to not be as good as Nick Foles, not just be at the same level, but be better than Nick Foles. Because I truly believe if they are equal, Nick Foles is going to be the guy because the Bears coaching staff is going to have more faith that, you know, if, if things get rough or whatever it may be, that, that you know, Foles is going to be able to persevere through that. And I don't think they have that same faith in Trubisky right now. And the other thing, too, is, again, this is Trubisky going into year three of this offense and year four in the league. Why is he still having the master of playbook that he should have known by now? The entire thought process moving into 2019 was that he was going to have the playbook master, that he would have the offense master, and he clearly doesn't. And that's the thing. It's tough because Trubisky seems like a really good dude. He clearly has the support of his teammates. It's just, and it's, it's an unfortunate situation. It's not like Cade McNown, where Cade McNown was just a flat-out prick, and nobody liked the guy, and the guy was cocky, and he was easy to root against. This isn't a Cade McNown situation. I mean, Trubisky, by, by all accounts, seems like a really good dude. I hope he, I hope he succeeds. I hope that he's able to figure it out. I think he absolutely deserves it. It's not for a lack of effort. And that's the thing that some people are kind of misinterpreting here. It's if you've given up on Trubisky, you simply don't think that he's the guy. It's not because you think he's some jerk or, you know, that he's just a terrible person or whatever it is, or that he hasn't worked hard enough. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's the fact that he's simply not retaining it. And it's not translating from meeting rooms and even maybe on the practice field to, you know, in person, whether that's preseason or in live games in the regular season. And that's and it kind of it, it's kind of one of those things, too, I kind of want to point out that I think we're going to know pretty early on whether it's training camp, whether, you know, whether people are going to be able to be there for training camp or whether it's a preseason. Because I think we can kind of go back to this time last year where there was another kind of internal conflict with a lot of Bears fans and a lot of Bears writers where you had – you know, people who were there that were basically saying, like, Trubisky doesn't look good. Like, this is concerning. He doesn't look any better than he did, uh, you know, in, in the 2018 season. There's not a lot of progression. He's still making a lot of mistakes. He's still doing a lot of the same things that he did uh, his previous two years. And then, of course, you had some fans that were there that were saying, oh, no, this, he looks much better, blah, blah, blah. There was always that kind of conflict. But the reality is, is he didn't look good. And in training camp, and he didn't play at all in the preseason. 
And so I guess where I'm going here is I think it's going to be very clear early on whether there's going to be able to be fans of training camp. We don't know yet. Uh, or, you know, even you guys being able to sit there and watch the two go after it. I think it's going to be very clear, very, very early on as to who the better quarterback is. Um, and the other thing I thought was kind of interesting, too, and is that Nagy has said multiple times now that they're going to be playing in preseason. The stars are going to be playing. And I think that's going to be big, especially for this quarterback competition, because you not only want their, them out there having an actual competition, but you also want them throwing to the guys that they're going to be throwing to in the regular season. Because as we've seen, a lot of stuff in the preseason could be quite trivial. And, you know, a lot of the vanilla offenses and different things that they're doing, you still need to establish chemistry. And we've seen this with Trubisky and Anthony Miller the last few years. You still need to establish chemistry early on. And I think that's going to be big for both quarterbacks to really see how they're clicking with the starting offense, how they look behind the starting offensive line, uh, what they're able to do on top of just their performances as a whole. Because the problem with preseason, as we've seen, is – Performances are weighted. I mean, the grades are weighted when you're looking at because if Trubisky starts the game and Nick Foles, you know, if he starts the first two quarters, and Nick Foles comes in in the, in the last two quarters. Not only is he playing with uh, lower caliber players on the his own side of the ball, but he's playing against lower caliber players on the other side of the ball with the opposing team and vice versa. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they how they balance things. But again, I do think that when, when it comes down to actually putting the product on the field, whether that's a practice or whether that's a preseason games, I think we're going to know pretty quickly who's the better quarterback and who's going to be the starting quarterback of this team going into the season. Yeah, that was a good point with training camp. I, I think you could vouch for me. I'm pretty positive. I was one of those people that were saying that or messaging you saying that Trubisky does not look good today, at least a couple times. Um, yeah, it was kind of crazy, man, just to see, how that whole thing went down, especially with training camp, you know, where the mixed reports were out and people kind of weren't trusting the beat reporters or anything. So, I mean, now we're going to have a quarterback battle when training camp resumes, and, and we'll kind of have to see how it goes. The other thing that I kind of want to talk about that Nagy did say, and it was pretty much on the topic of, you know, how do you deal with these virtual OTAs? And it's all about the details. I kind of want to get into that. Let's hit another break, and then we'll be right back to kind of just wrap things up after that. Welcome back in here to the Bear Report Podcast. So, Aaron, the, the other thing I want to talk about when Nagy talked was kind of how this virtual offseason's gone. Um, it's unprecedented times. We're not used to this. Typically, you know, I would have been at Hallis Hall reporting on the stuff this past weekend. We would have seen the rookies on the field. They don't really get that opportunity this year. Instead, the rookies kind of have to impress their coaches through these meetings and, and how they're kind of, you know, digesting the playbook and learning the playbook. It's just totally different. And when Nagy spoke on that, he kind of, you know, pretty much laid it out that they're going through meetings every day with position coaches, things like that. Um, Nagy is not, you know, it's not always all the coaches, all the players and Nagy in the meeting. He kind of hops meetings to meetings. Um, because it, it just kind of makes more sense for the players to kind of learn from the position coaches in their meetings. But he brought up a, a topic where, you know, during this rookie minicamp and during these OTAs this offseason, it's actually given the Bears time to kind of focus in on the details, um, you know, the details of the plays, the, the playbook overall, personnel, things like that. And to me, I, th I found that interesting because when you do get these guys on the field – you know, you, you could kind of see their physical attributes, obviously, a little more. 
Um, and, and maybe you don't have the time to work on those details and things like that. But now with what's going on now, giving them that time to do the details and having the players kind of learn on their own and, and, and figure out the playbook on their own is, is very intriguing to me. And I kind of just want to, you know, get your thoughts on if that maybe stood out to you and, and kind of what you think, how you interpreted that comment. Well, I think detail is is big, and especially when you when you look at a team like the Bears, where they have multiple new additions, right? I mean, when you look offensively, not a ton. I mean, obviously, gonna, there's going to be a, a competition at right guard. They've got some new tight ends, um, you know, Ted Ginn coming in, and Darnell Mooney as well. But I think defensively, I think that's going to be big as well because there are some new additions. Robert Quinn, I mean, basically outside linebacker, outside of Cleo Mack, uh, is pretty much rebuilt. Uh, they, they've got a competition going at corner with some new names over there, including Jalen Johnson and uh, Trey Robertson. And then they also have, obviously, Tashawn Gibson as well. So I think that you know, when, you're, when you're looking at the details of everything versus actually physically going out there and doing it and just kind of hounding in the details, even for somebody like Trubisky, I think that could be big because you're getting a lot of mental repetition here. So, I, you know, it's... Luckily, the Bears are not the only team dealing with this, right? I mean, obviously, every single team in the league right now is dealing with this in some way, shape, or form where they can't be out on the field, so they've got to go through everything repetition-wise, and they've got to do everything mental. So it's going to be interesting to see from a play perspective, especially early in the season, one, are teams going to have their guys out there playing more in preseason just to get those physical reps in, and then two – how tight are teams going to look at the very beginning of the season? Obviously, the first few games of the season is usually kind of a crapshoot anyway, but I'm going to be very curious to see if the play is even more sloppy than it was before or maybe if it's a little bit more refined than it normally is just based on the fact that instead of focusing more on the physical aspect and the the physical repetition, it's all going to be mental and learning at this point. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, like I said, luckily for the Bears – they're one of 32 teams dealing with this right now. So at least they're not at some sort of disadvantage that the rest of the league isn't. And kind of with that detailed topic, I don't know if you caught the story that uh, Larry Mayer wrote on ChicagoBears.com. He talked to rookie Darnell Mooney, and I, I thought this was a really good story and a very unique way to learn the playbook. Um, Mooney pretty much told him he's in New Orleans working out on his own. He's, he found like a turf field. But to learn the plays and memorize the plays – what he's doing is he's recording himself calling out the plays in like in like a mock huddle, and then he'll get into like a fake huddle on the field, have his um, AirPods or whatever in, and will will listen to the recording of himself calling out the play, and then he'll go line up in that spot, um, which is crazy because like we never would have thought someone would be doing that, but with these times right now, these players kind of have to find their own unique ways to to learn the playbook on their own, you know, without these meetings, because they're only allowed a certain amount of times to meet with the coaches during the week. So to kind of hear that story and, and see what, you know, one example of what a rookie or a newcomer is trying to do um, to kind of learn the playbook with this new team was pretty good. The other thing I want to talk about before we wrap things up and kind of speaking of rookies, Nagy ended the conference call um, by taking a question about Cole Komet tight end and, uh, you know, we got to watch Nagy on the screen, and he kind of just gushed, you know, when he was talking about Cole Komet, the former Notre Dame tight end that the Bears selected number 43 overall. And the question was pretty much, you know, when you, you're you learning curve for a tight end, a rookie tight end, a young tight end, um, and, and what you've seen going back to your days with Travis Kelsey in Kansas City, um, 
And Nagy pretty much gave out the answer that, you know, they're, they're two different tight ends. They're not very similar. Kelsey's more of a primary pass-catching tight end. He's a more dynamic tight end in that way. Um, he kind of told the story where, he, you know, he outran a corner and a safety for a 60-yard touchdown as the moment they knew, okay, this guy is going to be a really good player in the NFL. When he talked about Cole Komet, you know, he talked that they see him more of a U tight end that can, or a Y tight end that can play the U position and that his ceiling is so high. And he was just, I mean, you had to see him. He was just kind of gushing over him that he's he has not been able to stump Komet yet in a meeting on Zoom. And it was just, it was high praise for the rookie from the head coach. And I, I know it, it's, this is off the field stuff. Coaches are obviously going to praise their players. To me, that that said something. That's more conviction that Matt Nagy wanted this guy, and they're going to use a lot more 12 personnel this season than I think they they did last season. Well, I think if there was any doubt to who the Cole Komet pick was for, it was definitely Matt Nagy. I mean, I, I think that's been obvious for a while. I think the Bears, in, in a lot of ways, have kind of locked into him for a while. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where – I and I said this pre – pre-draft and I, and I'll still say this and you know I the tight end class was not good I mean there's just no way around that I mean it was the proof was in the pudding the fact that Cole Komet was the only tight end taken in the first two rounds of the draft and it wasn't even till late third round until the next tight end was taken there was no tight ends taken in the in the first round I mean that kind of speaks to how the league viewed this tight end class now that's not to say that I think Cole Komet is a bad pick or he's going to be a bad player. I think that Cole Komet's ceiling is something along the lines of, and it's some people may view it as kind of a lazy comparison, but I don't think it is uh, with Kyle Rudolph. I, I think that he's not the most athletic guy in the world. He's not the fastest guy in the world. He's not somebody who's going to wow you a lot, but I think that he's got good size. I mean, he's got solid speed. He's a good build. He's pretty durable. He's a tough guy. I think he's going to mold more into a blocker as things go on. And like you pointed out, and like Matt Nagy pointed out, I mean, Jimmy Graham, the Jimmy Graham edition and the Cole Komet edition, two completely different roles that they're going to be playing. Now, you know, Nagy has said that Komet can play both roles. Jimmy Graham absolutely cannot. That's not who he is. He's more of just basically a huge receiver. Um, but I think that the the idea here is is that, like you pointed out, they want to run more 12 personnel. And two, you know, Komet can be that guy that can have the versatility to play both tight end positions, the U and the Y, where he can line up as, you know, as a receiver or he can line up, uh, you know, more as an inline blocker. And I think that that's obviously a value. Now, I think obviously the thing to keep in mind with rookie tight ends as a whole is usually rookie tight ends don't produce big in year one. Now, you know, I, and I've seen some people making the comparison um, between Adam Shaheen and Komet, and I don't, I don't think that's fair. Uh, it, you can look at the two, you know, the two's college tape, and you can clearly see there's a vast difference in their games overall. I mean, Adam Shaheen's always kind of been a, a you know, a kind of a bumbly guy, and just never really overly coordinated and he played against pretty low level competition. And Cole Komet is a much bigger, stronger. I shouldn't say bigger, but he's stronger, and I think he's more stout, um, and I think he's going to be much more durable. And he was a two-sport athlete. I mean, he was drafted by the White Sox. I mean, the dude, the dude has been viewed as a very good baseball prospect as well. Obviously, he decided to go with football. I think that I think a I don't know if I'd say a worst case, but probably a more realistic view of Komet. You know, maybe on the lower end is I still think he's going to be a solid tight end. I don't know if he's ever going to be you know a top five top tight end. 
um, like a Travis Kelsey or, you know, a Zacher to somebody like that. But that's fine. I mean, that's not really what you're expecting when you're taking a tight end in the second round. I mean, that's not that shouldn't be the expectation of any fan. But I do still think that he's going to play a solid role this year. And most of all, I mean, just look at what they had at tight end last year and compare it to what they have right now, at least on paper. I mean, Jimmy Graham's durable. Uh, Cole Komet's pretty durable. I mean, they have they definitely have some potential there. It's a hell of a lot better than it was last year, which really isn't saying much considering Jimmy Graham's down year. He still outproduced the Bears tight ends as a whole. But I do think having both Graham and Komet um, and having Komet kind of not have the pressure of being that number one tight end right off the bat, not putting him in uh, you know in the U position where he's going to have to be that pass catcher and they're going to be relying on him for six seven hundred yards a year in year one. I think having Graham there and, and having that depth and being able to kind of rotate him in and out and allow him to learn is going to be big. And obviously, you know, being a smart guy, being a driven guy, and being able to understand the playbook and what he's being asked is also big because I think that was another issue with Adam Shaheen as well is he never really, even when he was on the field, he didn't look like the player that the Bears talked about him as him being. But again, as you pointed out, this is all talk. We haven't seen any sort of, you know, uh, production on the field yet. But I do think that I think Komet was a safe pick. Komet's, you know, his floor was never my issue. It was more of I thought just with the value of what else was on the board in terms of offensive weapons and stuff like that, I thought they could have got somebody that had a higher ceiling. But I don't think Cole Komet has a low floor by any means. Uh, it's just a matter of how high that ceiling is. And if he ends up turning into Kyle Rudolph, he's Kyle Rudolph 2.0, I think you take that every every opportunity you get in the second round. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I, I think Bears fans are going to like him for sure. Um, but, you know, it'll, it'll be – it'll be fun to watch how they use him this year and what his role is going to be. I think his role is going to be sizable, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, at the same, uh, you know, at the same expectations as somebody like Jimmy Graham, who's going to be more of a pass catcher for them. And he's probably going to be on the field more overall. Yeah. I mean, they have Jimmy Graham as their primary pass catching tight end. They have Demetrius Harris primary blocking tight end. And they kind of vision, you know, Komet being somewhere in between. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how they play him in this offense early on, especially, you know, will they kind of ease him in a little bit? Will they throw him right into the fire, give him a bunch of reps? Um, I'll be curious to kind of see that. But, I mean, they've gushed over him, and rightfully so. I mean, he is the Matt Nagy pick. Like you said, there's no doubt about it that Matt Nagy wanted his guy. And I agree with you. I think he was a safe option. Uh, the more time I've had to evaluate it. I, I really didn't like the pick at first. Um, but seeing all the tight ends that went after him and, and how late they went, it's like it was clear that the talent, you know, Komet was probably the best tight end in this class. And the Bears went and got their guy. You can't fault them for it. They, they have to address this tight end position, which has been a house of horrors for them ever since Ryan Pace got here. Uh, so we'll see how this plays out for them. Uh, I think I should kind of wrap things up here, Aaron. Um, We'll be back again soon with a new podcast episode. There hasn't really been much going on. The Bears are set to do their um, OTAs beginning in early June. I don't think the media will be allowed in. So we'll still get to hear from Matt Nagy and a couple players um, at least once a week. So we'll be back then doing podcasts. Um, Aaron, where can everyone follow you on Twitter at? You can follow me at Aaron Lemming NFL, and you can read my work on thebearreport.com. Perfect. You can follow the Bear Report on Twitter at just Bear Report. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Zach, Z-A-C-K underscore Pearson. 
And again, we'll be back soon with another podcast episode to break down these virtual OTAs as football draws closer. Getting ready here to hit the uh, month of June, which means only a couple more months until the potential return of the NFL. Um, So, yeah, stay tuned. And as always, please rate, review, subscribe, and like on all major podcasting platforms. Until next time, stay safe. We'll talk to you later. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.